Hello, food enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode of the Future Foodcast. We are so excited you're with us. Today, we have Nick Hazel with us. He is the founder and CEO of V2 Food. They are the number one Australian producer of plant-based meat products. We are very excited to hear some of his insights. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Lovely to be here, Pam. Yeah, we're glad that you've made time on your schedule for us. I know you're very busy as CEO. One of the things that I noticed about your company is you are very intentional. Tell us about your mission. Uh, yeah, we are. We're, we're very much a mission-driven company. Um, we've we've taken a look at this, this plant-based meat um, opportunity, and this is about three and a half years ago. I was asked to lead a... Uh, a startup by the CSIRO in Australia, which is Australia's sort of um, science agency, if you like. And I was looking at framing up what, what is the problem to be solved? And I was in San Francisco at a conference uh, feeling rather uncomfortable. Maybe it was jet lag, but actually I put my finger on what the problem was. I was the only non-vegan out of like 150 CEOs of alt protein companies. And and why is that important? It's, I, I think it's because if you frame the problem that the world doesn't have enough vegans, then you do all sorts of things like you attack the meat industry and you and you you focus on on rich vegans effectively. Whereas from my perspective, I was saying, well, actually, the problem is, is that we cannot feed the planet if we carry on eating meat the way we're doing it. You know, the meat is incredibly inefficient. And if you just look at the correlation between wealth and meat consumption, you just join the dots, you realize that we run out of land. And it's not just like in my lifetime, we're going to be running out of land within the next uh, decades or so. All land, we already have 70% of the, of the world is farmed. And the vast majority of that is for animal, um, the animals that we like to eat. So we frame the problem as, as how do we make meat for everybody to reduce the our reliance on on animals for our for our feed and therefore stop this insane destruction of the planet around us it's probably i always think that that of all the sustainability opportunities you know everyone goes to to renewable energy etc but actually agriculture and meat is probably the biggest thing that we can do so that was kind of framed up v2 and then and then i'm an engineer so the, then you break down the problem into what are the technology um, aspects that we need to solve um what's the business model that we need to solve because i mean i don't know about you but um if i go to the supermarket um maybe not now because i probably eat a lot less meat than i do than i did three years ago but the most most expensive part of my grocery bill was meat so there's no way that i would pay more for meat uh, if it was plant-based you know you just don't do that so the three things that we had to solve were, were how do we make it affordable i.e the same price or cheaper than meat how do we make it truly delicious i will not sacrifice taste on food ever i'll always go for stuff that tastes good so how do we make it more delicious and then how do we make it available you know in the place that you buy your meat and if you buy your meat in in the us it'll be you know at a, at a walmart or or a kroger's if it's in australia it'll be a coles or a woolworth's um, or you buy it at a burger king or a hungry jacks in australia and if you're in africa you'll probably buy it in a wet market and it'll be a completely different market so our job is to solve the problem of meat in a way that's accessible for the masses and that's that's what we've started doing and in Australia, we've gone from, from 
obviously we didn't exist three years ago, to the, the leading brand in Australia. We doubled the category last year and, and I think we're now about 22% of the, of the category. And from my perspective, it's, it's great, but it's not great because we're only like 1% of meat. Um, when we get to 10% of meat, well, not even that. I mean, we, we just need to keep going. So thanks, thanks for the congratulations, but it doesn't feel like uh, we're, we're ready for congratulations yet. Well, like a true entrepreneur, you're never happy with where you are right now, but let, let's unpack some of that. You mentioned several really critical things. And the first one was that you're redefining the problem a little bit rather than bashing what's going on right now, you're, you're solving for some future thinking problems rather than looking in the past. And I think that consumers more and more are very interested in sustainability of our food supply. And how are we gonna feed the people as the populations grow? Because you're exactly right, the numbers don't add up. And, and that's the, the big number one problem. Uh, but another one that keeps people from trying plant-based meat or alternatives to meat is the taste issue, which you hit head on. So you're not you're not going to sacrifice that. Um, and I love your engineering background. So, so you sat back. It's only been three years, Nick, and you've done really quite a bit. But where did you even like? How do you even start to solve for this? What was the first thing you did? How do you even start to? Well, the, the, the first thing was was I've spent most of my career developing food products. You know, um, you know, I worked for PepsiCo. We delivered the, the the most premium chips in Australia and invented a brand, um, Red Rock Deli, and and did and. But it's all about taste. So actually, the first thing I did when I took the the job, if you like, was just to eat meat and and just deconstruct it because you never really think about it it's just something you do every day you don't really think about well, what is this meat that you're eating and and so i had quite a lot of burgers and i was seeking out the best the best meat that i could find and burgers and then try and figure out what is that what is that flavor experience that i'm getting and okay. and obviously i'm working with some of the top meat scientists in the world um, that work for the csiro and together we we sort of deconstruct what that eating experience is and then you try and reproduce that with with ingredients which are plant-based so we're not meat we don't we don't it's it's, it's actually sort of um the, you can't reproduce directly because obviously we're made from plants but you can reproduce the experience and then of course then you realize that we're not actually constrained by the genetics of a cow um, we could actually make our make meat more delicious so so that was the the problem deconstructed and we had a very clear um goal initially was to create a whopper so we we started working with the hungry jacks which is burger king in australia and focused on, okay, how do we deliver a Whopper that actually was indistinguishable from the, the meat Whopper? So very clear goal. But at the same time, while I was doing that, I was realizing and thinking, well, the world isn't going to be saved by <laughs> us eating more Whoppers. How do we do mince, for example, which is a very big, big part of the meat industry. So we were doing side experiments on mince and and then we were thinking, well, okay, beef is really interesting. What about pork? The biggest meat eating um, nation in the world is China and they eat a lot more pork than they eat beef. Can we apply our flavor science to pork? So we did that in, in parallel. So it's kind of grown up sort of lots of projects in parallel. And at one point I counted 38 technology and science projects that we're running in parallel, which, and, and what's different about how we've done it. And the reason we can do it so quickly is we don't, we haven't got some monolithic R and D division. We, 
with hundreds of people. Um, I've only got 12 people now in R&D and initially it was just me, but we use this incredible science capability that there is in Australia. Australia has one of the best academic reputations in the world, but they also have the worst translation reputation. So they have these amazing scientists, but what they do doesn't actually get translated into businesses and impact. We did, never had a, a very advanced sort of venture capital system in Australia. So kind of part of our job was to engage with all of these scientists and draw out their knowledge and work with them on the bench. Um, and the only thing we said is that we just we don't want you sitting on the information and writing a paper in six months time. We want it today, even before you're sure that you know exactly what the results are. We want them so we can use them. Yeah, it's a completely different model of innovation. I, I've spent most of my career working with universities and was kind of frustrated at how slow it was. And then you kind of realize that it wasn't that the scientists were slow. It was just the process, you know, because they have to check everything, write a paper. They know that they're going to be peer reviewed. So they have to be really careful with everything they say. And that just slows the whole thing down. Let's not pass over that because that in itself, a really new look at how to innovate, because what slows companies down, like you were saying, is the, the capital intensive front end research that has to be done in whatever you're going to do. So the fact that you were able to leverage already equipped scientists who know the scientific process and give them a project to work on, and then, you know, don't wait and six months or a year for this whole process of publishing your paper and the whole peer reviewed. We want the information so that we can go to work on a business case to make this an actionable product. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That, 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 that's exactly I'm, it. I was getting it's really, excited it's, while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the scientific process is, is wonderful. I mean, science is about trying to find truth. That's what it is. And it's very you know, the, the, the checks and balances in the process are wonderful. It really does mean that you are much more likely at finding the truth if you follow the scientific process, but those checks and balances make it slow. And I can remember when I was at, at Mars, I was R&D director for Mars, and we, this was about more than 15 years ago, the family, the Mars family wanted to um, know what should they be doing on sustainability and climate change. And, and I organized a conference in Australia with the top climate scientists. A lot of them were Australian. Um, at the time, Australia was leading the way. It's kind of lost its way a little bit um, now in terms of sustainability. But from a science perspective, we assembled them and then the scientists were going to give a normal talks. And I said to them, we're not interested. This is a, a friendly environment. We're not we're not going to critique and uh, your your science. Talk to us about what you really believe and not caveat it with lots of, you know, statistics and 99 percent certainty and 80 percent. Just tell us what you're telling your children um, based on the science you've got. Um, and they laid it absolutely out with the climate change impacts that we're seeing today, completely known. All the scientists have, have been publishing this for 30 years, but they laid it out absolutely clearly. This is what you should be doing. And, and Mars, to their credit, developed a uh, strategy sustainable in a generation, which became the Mars um, sustainability strategy. So get scientists to tell you what they know in a format which isn't necessarily a, a paper and you can actually go a lot faster. Our scientists all, all write papers as well, but we say you do that on your time, not on our time. That's right. That's right, because you want to be able to have the information so you could go to work on that. I, I think that's genius, Nick. One of the 
most interesting things I've heard in a long time. I had never thought about approaching innovation that way because typically entrepreneurs are very internal in how they're looking and it's all about their little uh, piece of the ground and, and what are we doing here? Not looking outside of what's happening in parallel with what we're looking to do and what other knowledge is out there that we can put together well, the, move the problem is is so multifaceted. I mean, we're doing projects in nutrition because if I'm going to take meat off the plate, I better replace it with something that's as nutritious. And there's there's lots of opportunities there. And also, I mean, look, what's our biggest problem in the Western world? It's we don't eat enough plants. We don't eat enough fiber. So there's an opportunity to actually do something about it. There's sustainability. How do we how do we get to carbon zero? And so soil systems, carbon sequestration plant breeding, you know, this is something that there's no way that anybody, you know, we have to engage with with so many different scientists to solve this problem. So I can't imagine there's any other way of doing it, to be honest. It, we could wait a, a decade before we've built up the R&D resources to do it if we did it ourselves. And solving sustainability slowly is not solving sustainability. You know, there is a, there is a clock ticking. You know, if we haven't cracked this in the next five to 10 years, it's, you know, we, we would have reached all the tipping points. So, so this idea of, of urgent Agency um, infuses our organization. It's it's we are so impatient to solve this as quickly as we possibly can. Right. And I think in your area, especially with plant-based alternatives, especially to meat, because of the other negatives that are associated with that source of food, a lot of people talk about it as a trend. But I think that's probably not correct based on what you're saying. No, it's it's a movement, I think. I mean, we, we, we said right at the very beginning, chief marketeer, and he comes from FMCG, and he's sort of doing the normal FMCG sort of marketing. And I'm saying, well, you know, we want to, obviously, marketing knows how to get consumers over the line and, and they, there are some skill sets which are really valuable but actually we're trying to create a movement that's different from uh from just fmcg marketing a very very different way of doing it it does mean that you know we're, we're we're very public we're getting out there we're talking a lot and people are beginning to listen so so hopefully we can get mass adoption uh, as i say solving this in a in a decade or two building a food business in 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 the traditional speed of building a food business isn't going to cut it we've got to go a lot faster yes you have some urgency there for our we have a very uh, wide and varied audience what is fmcg if you would define oh, that sorry fast, fast sorry that's um fast moving consumer goods it's kind of like yeah. all of the food businesses you know the mars and the nestles and actually a lot of you know other goods that you buy in the supermarket but it's basically you know stuff that you buy every day um mm -hmm. and don't even think about most of the stuff you go into a supermarket you go with your trolley you buy your stuff and you feed your family that's something different than when you make a, a purchase which you really think about so buying a tesla is a, a very different action than buying a a 500 gram pack of mints in your supermarket but interestingly and there's an interesting comparison there we were just doing the maths on on carbon footprint if you swapped out a 500 gram pack of mints v2 mints for your beef mints um, you do that once a week and you, you cook your spaghetti bolognese or chili con carne or chili conch as you call it in australia you do that once a week and that's the equivalent of running a family car for a year so well, and, and a lot cheaper than buying a lot cheaper than buying a Tesla. It is a lot cheaper, and mints for our worldwide audience too is also known as like ground meat in some places, ground beef or ground pork or whatever that might be uh, akin to. And I think beef was your initial initially beef um, because we were focused on on the Whopper, but we're now doing pork, uh, chicken. We've just launched. Uh, I've developed lamb, 
Um, yeah. I've even developed Goat, uh, <laughs> which we haven't launched yeah. yet. But uh, if you're interested, if you're serious about developing markets, you better have Goat in your portfolio. Yeah, and and everybody's interested in the variety too, and especially if it's going to taste good. I really want to focus on your reason for being. I think you've done a better job than most of articulating what the problem is in a way that puts urgency on it. I hear about sustainability. We we hear about it all the time because a lot of companies are talking about it. They're trying to figure out how to do better at it, but you're actually quantifying and putting the urgency on it with, with numbers and, and what we need to do and that we need to make an impact pretty soon. Yeah. It's a B2 is actually, we call it B2 because it's version two of, of the food system. And, uh, so that was the thinking behind B2. It's like, we've got to rethink the food system and the food system is, should be a massive contributor to our sustainability on the planet. That, they're going to be 10 billion people. There's nothing we can really do about that. Um, and of course, and we have to live within the planetary boundaries. I mean, there is no other way that we can exist. So, and the food system is a, is a fundamental part of that, but we've, we've kind of lost our way. There's been some choices that we made over the, over our history around how we grow our food and how we feed ourselves, which, which are absolutely not optimal. So we need to rethink the food system. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. And it's not just the, the plant-based meat, though that's an important, really important part of it. It's actually, well, how do we grow the plants? You know, so again, you know, we've had the green revolution, but it's been really input focused, a lot of fertilizer, a lot of pesticides, a lot of destruction of soil systems, and a lot of destruction of nat natural capital. Um, there is a better way of doing it. Um, and not a not a uh, going back to the 19th century way of doing it. No, use the science because there is a lot of really great science to create a food system which is which is equitable and which is sustainable. Uh, and we're leaning into that. Um, so not only are we making plant-based meat, but we're looking at the breeding of soy. Obviously, we don't use you know you know there, there are we use soy as our main ingredient, and there are high-protein soys out there. Uh, there are high-protein and low-flavor soys out there. The last thing I want is for my product to taste of soy. Um, I've spent my life in the food industry trying to avoid things that have an off taste. So why would we go there? So, so there's some fundamental technology problems that need to be solved. And the good news is we can solve them. Um, and then the question is, is can we solve them quick enough? So that's what we're leaning into. And um, I mean, from my perspective, uh, as I say, I'm an R&D director who's now a CEO. I have a lot of remit and, and investors who are really interested in trying to solve these problems because it's got to be solved. I mean, I don't believe that anybody thinks that this is not going to happen. It's really just a question of who's going to make it happen and can they do it fast enough? And when I started out the podcast talking about one of the things I like about your company is that you're very intentional. The V2 that you just brought up, just saying this is version two of our food. Version one is, is on the way down the hill. I mean, they've gone off the curve and you know that's not going to they're not going to make it. And so we've got to create a version two. And I, I just love that because every time you say the name, you think about that. Okay. This is, this is a new way of approaching our food and how we eat and how we grow. What is a better way? I mean, other than finding maybe some richer sources of protein in the plant kingdom, is there an actual thought about technology around growing the plants? Like, are you using the, the land that we currently have, or are you doing something, you know, inside or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So, so I'm number one, when you make, 
meat from plants, we are 20 times more efficient. So if you take a kilo of soy, I can make two kilos of meat. Broadly. Okay. Um, okay. If I take that same kilo of soy and feed it to it, I'm going to make 100 grams of meat. So uh, I am 20 times more efficient. That means 20 times less land, 20 times less water, 20 times less input. So even doing nothing, that's a really good start because we, we've run out of land um, yeah. to, to grow, grow our feedstock crops. And the average farmer is a feedstock farmer. You know, most of what we do is, a, is creating feedstock. But then you look about, well, how do you grow it? Soy and legumes, they are naturally restorative in as much as they, they, they take up nitrogen, they, they, put, uh, they, they fertilize the, so the, the soils, they're a great rotation crop. So it's a really good start. And we're working with another startup in Australia, which is looking at maximizing the amount of carbon you can sequester when you grow the crop. And, um, and in fact, we're working with like four other startups in different areas so very collaborative, but this is one that excites me the most because we've done trials now on soy where we, we're, we're putting in more than five tons, actually between five and eight tons of carbon per hectare when we grow our soy uh, of carbon. And you do the maths on that, it makes our soy carbon negative. In fact, when we put it all together, our product, which is now two and a half kilos of carbon per kilo of meat, we think we can get down to zero. So we've got a roadmap to zero. Uh, it's going to take four years because we have to actually convert a whole lot of farmers to growing this soy and it's going to take two or three years mm -hmm. to sure. do it and we also have to extract the protein from the soy so that's a big endeavor a process but actually on paper we can we can solve this thing we can actually eat food that's carbon carbon negative uh, carbon negative carbon positive i'm not sure which way to put it but it's actually good for the world rather than bad for the world we're not adding more we're we're actually sucking carbon out of yes. it putting it yes. into the ground and you know there's only three places <laughs> you can have carbon it's sort of in the ground in the oceans or in the air mm -hmm. and we don't want we don't want so much in the air so let's put it either in the ground or in the ocean so mm -hmm. so that's actually a, a food system which which you want for the future super exciting and then in in parallel with that actually have soy that doesn't have any flavor which to be honest i think everyone in this industry needs raw materials which are cheap sustainable carbon negative and no flavor because you know you don't want to if you're going to make meat you don't want it to taste taste of soy or pea or whatever you use wheat fava bean Mm -hmm, whatever it is. So that frees you up to then put in the flavor profile that you want to put in, depending on what you're trying to duplicate. And I, I feel like moving forward in the future, as, as more and more people move away from meat, even if they might still eat a little bit of meat, they're eating less meat. And when there are good alternatives, people are more likely to try it when they think, you know, like you were saying, the taste yeah. profile and everything. Particular, and also if they can afford it and, and it's available, we sort of say delicious, uh, affordable and available where you buy your meat. Um, All those things. Oh, I reckon uh, we can't do it on a podcast, but if I was to do a survey of your audience, I always ask, you know, how many vegans in the audience? And you might get a few more than on average, but it's always going to be sort of one or two percent. But then, then we sort of say, well, how many people have tried to be a vegan or a vegetarian in their lives? And then you always get, I did it last night. I was giving a talk to a, a confectionery industry in, in Australia. And um, sure enough, 20 to 30% of people who've tried to be a vegan or vegetarian, but gave up because it's just too hard. And then you say, well, how many people are reducing their meat intake? It's always between 50 and 70%. Even when I talk to the meat industry, they're reducing their meat intake. So making it easier for people to reduce their meat intake is the job to be done. Yeah. Well, Nick, do you think, and this is what I was uh, about to talk about, future looking right now, kind of more on the front end of this industry with the 
plant-based meats, we're trying to duplicate what we already know out of the meat kingdom. I just see whole, a whole new category of foods where we're not going to try to be making it taste like beef or having it taste like pork, where we're going to be creating new taste profiles. Do you agree? You know what? I, I don't actually. No. Um, okay. I, I grew up, you know, in the- Throwing it out I'm, there. I'm, I'm old enough to, to remember when people were telling me I was going to be eating space food, you know, because of all of this space food with the Apollo mission and everything's going to be changed. And, and then I look at what I eat and, I'm, and, I, and I eat what my mum ate and what she cooked. And what can I cook? Well, I cook the same dishes that my mum and my grandmum mm. cooked. And, and I've been thinking about this and, you know, we're driven by our genes, you know, so why, why do we like meat? Well, actually, because it's, uh, we're genetically wired to like meat you know there's a nutritional payoff for us you know in our evolution um but there's another genetic trait that we have and that's conservatism for food and it's probably stood us in good stead we we copy what our parents taught us because probably it would mean that we wouldn't poison ourselves and we'll learn about diets and stuff so we're actually genetically conservative when it comes to food um and when i've done innovation for food companies you know it was always a frustration because we're saying okay we're gonna come up with this wonderful new flavor and um and then you talk to the consumers and they say well just give me you know steak and chips or just give give me something and their comfort food is always stuff that they're that they learned to eat as a kid from their parents and grandparents so so to be honest we will we may be eating space food in in a generation's time or two generations time but we can't wait so today we eat what we eat my job is to make sure that the meat that you eat is sourced in a sustainable way that's consistent with the boundaries and don't change anything else and then i could be fast because we're not going to be changing our dietary habits in the next 10 years yeah you know what that's a, a point well taken i think the whole comfort food idea and what you know is you you always go back to that don't you and, and from what you learned when you were growing up. Uh, you mentioned also nutritionally earlier on about if you're going to have plant-based meat that you need to be looking at some of the nutrition there to make sure, especially with the proteins and amino acids and all of that. Can you speak a little bit to that and what you might be doing there to- Yeah, you know? no, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of fundamental that one of the first projects we did, apart from the, you know, the, the developing all of the, the, the chemistry, et cetera, behind making it was, it was a question to this, again, to the CSIRO, who um, are the primary sort of nu nutrition experts in Australia. And the question was, was, what should our nutrition be? And so they uh, they basically looked at what, what people eat in Australia, what uh, do they get from meat, which is a really important part of their diet. And then they recommended some adjustments to our formulation to make sure that we deliver all of the things that people need from meat. Because the last thing we want to do is if we're going to take meat off the plate and replace it with plant-based meat, there must be no nutritional disadvantage. And hopefully there's something better. You know, we actually can formulate so we're better. So that means that we, we fortify, you know, there's B12 in there, there's zinc, um, there's iron in our product. We're looking at protein bioavailability. Uh, traditionally, plant proteins are not as bioavailable as meat. Meat, meat is wonderfully bioavailable. Um, we're pretty good, actually. Some of our processing uh, improves bioavailability, but we're not. But we're working on how do we make our protein more bioavailable um, and facing into the the, the problems. Um, iron is a big problem. Anemia is is in some societies is, is a huge problem. So making sure that our iron is bioavailable. Is is another research project we're, we're working on. So all of the opportunities and problems we're facing into because we want to be more nutritious than meat. Good news is, is there are actually some benefits of being from plants like fiber. So we've already shown that um, we're very nourishing to the micro 
microbiome, which is good. And we also seem to be quite satiating. Um, one of the advantages of having fiber is, is that you actually, um, you get the right feedback signals from your gut biome to your brain, which says you're full. Um, if you've ever eaten at a fast food joint, sometimes you eat you eat a big burger and then 10 minutes later, you kind of want another one. <laughs> and and uh, yes, it's because, you're, yeah, the, we haven't triggered the natural sort of satiation mechanism we have in our bodies because we're feeding uh, stuff that just gets digested too quickly. So luckily we're on the right side of that. So it does mean that actually um, you probably will eat less calories if you switch to plant-based uh, meat, which say. is a, a wonderful outcome, serendipitous, but well, I don't know. But that's true because obesity is an epidemic, at, at least in some countries. In other countries, not as much, but- Well, it, I mean, some countries you've got both starvation and obesity in the same country. It's, yes, it's really, wow. you know, there's 2 billion people obese and there's 2 billion people who are malnourished. And sometimes they're in the same country. So we have to, and that's an environmental thing. You know, our, our food system is giving us uh, food that's available high in calories, but it is, we've lost the, the mechanism for self-regulation when it comes to calories. Yeah. And that's something that we need to change as well. And I think plant-based meat actually does have a role in that, um, in that problem. Yeah. I think those all sound like good benefits because there, there are a lot of benefits. I'm glad you turned it from my question to, you know, some of the benefits of plant-based meats. We have talked about several really cool things and, and branding and the mission that you're on and what's happening with our food supply moving forward. What else would you like for our audience to know about, Nick, that we haven't covered thus far? Anything? Look, the way I look at it is that, you know, we, we could say, well, like, you've got to switch. You've got to, you've got to take in your own hands the problems of the world and, and be more sustainable. I, in a way, I, I don't actually buy that. I think it's our job. It's the company's job. It's the, the people in the food industry's job to make it easy for people who have busy lives. They, they're, they're running a family. They're trying to make ends meet. Our job is to put choices in front of them that actually are responsible and will help save the planet. So, so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's right for me to tell people, um, you know, change because it's your problem. It's actually a societal problem. And um, I think companies and startups have a, have a duty to actually be positive, to actually contribute to society. So I don't actually want to lay, lay it on consumers. What I would say is that, is that um, not all plant-based meat is the same. And if you've rejected the category because maybe two or three years ago you, you tried something and it wasn't very good, well, I'm not surprised because there were some pretty terrible products out there. But the good news is, is we're getting better and better. You know, we're not limited by the genetics of a cow. We can get better and better. It's a new movement. So give it another go because, um, you know, I know that the product I've got now today in the supermarket is much better than the, the product that I launched um, two years ago because we're continually improving it. So maybe give it another chance would be my would be my ask. And then it's up to us to make sure it's delicious and, and affordable. Well, I think that's a good word. You know, I remember years and years ago, I tried some early protein bars that were, you know, I'm into health and fitness and uh, hiking and all that. So you're out in the middle somewhere and you don't really have fresh food necessarily. You have like a protein bar. Really the early, early protein bars tasted like cardboard, Nick, to your point. And, but so I left them for a while, but then I came back and we have innovated in all these years. And now there's some really good alternative products on the market. And so to all of our listeners, yes, do give it another try if you haven't done that so far. Well, what does the future look like for V2 Food? You're in Australia right now, New Zealand. Yeah, we're, we're, we're I mean, obviously, Australia's only got 25 million people. So we're not, we're not going to solve the problem um, just 
just well, we'll solve it for the Australian population, but we need to get to the large population. So we're already in China. We've okay. just launched a, a steam buns, um, a pilot trial in China, steam buns with 4,000 restaurants. That, that's what a pilot trial looks like in China. Um, okay. Their meat consumption has, has, has gone from 10 kilos per person to, to 60 in the last 30 years. And Hong Kong is 130. So if we okay. don't fix China soon, we are in, in deep trouble. So we're yeah, in China. We're, large numbers of people as well i mean that population is very large compared to other countries yeah 1.3 billion people um it'll be so so for us that's a priority the rest of asia so we're very focused on korea and japan and the rest of asia and i'm looking at other markets as well so we will go into other markets but for us we're looking at where is the biggest growth in meat consumption and we're focusing on that in a way you could kind of say well we don't shouldn't be focusing on vegans because in a way vegans have already solved the problem so so focusing on rich vegans is probably not where we are we're focusing on people who who eat meat and want to eat meat but are maybe thinking about an alternative and our job is to is to provide that alternative so that we can sort of stop the growth of of animal meat production and and that's where you can have the biggest impact to your point from before you know, of making making the change and giving good alternatives. Who are the people that are looking for alternatives? They're not the people that are already vegan, like you said. They're the meat eaters. And if the meat eating has gone up by so many hundreds of percent, I mean, that's multiple times uh, recently, that, that is a great place to start. I'm really glad that somebody with your foresight, and obviously you have a great team, you have a very innovative mind to look at what other knowledge is out there. And you're also collaborating with other people that are complementary to what you're trying to do. And I think all those are really positives. I appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom with us today on the Future Foodcast. Nick, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 